When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I was paying for vacations all wrong. (laughs) I was missing out on miles. I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? I don't know, maybe that fancy hotel upgrade that you have always been dreaming about. Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. I'm going to be real with you. Identity theft is on the rise, and you do not want to wake up one morning and discover that your bank account has been emptied, or you're overdue on credit cards you never even applied for. We talk about this often on the podcast, but you don't realize how much of your information is available to scammers on the internet and how susceptible you and your family are to identity theft and fraud. I know, it's scary, but now you can get your data removed with Delete Me. That's why I personally choose Delete Me. Delete.me is a subscription service that removes your personal information from the largest people search databases on the web, and in the process helps prevent potential ID theft, doxing, and phishing scams. I just started using Delete.me and I got my regular personalized privacy report. and <laughs> I was shocked what they found and removed. It was pages of information about me that I did not want online. Here's how it works. You sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. I cannot tell you how relieved I felt to have Delete Me. And you know, it's also a great service for your parents or grandparents to help protect them from identity theft. Delete Me is not just a one time service, Delete Me is always working for you, constantly monitoring and removing the personal information you do not want on the internet. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me, now at a special price for my listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com etm and use promo code etm at checkout. The only way you get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com etm and enter code etm at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash E-T-M. Go to joindeleteme.com slash E-T-M and use code E-T-M for 20% off. It's not you. (laughs) It's not you. If you're not, if you're not confident investing, if you're not confident making financial decisions, that isn't only because of your money story and your experience. It's because we live inside of a system that talks to you like an infant about money. Welcome to Everyone's Talking Money podcast. I'm your host, Shauna Game. There's no judgment, no dumb questions, just smart conversations about you and your money. So come on in and grab a seat. Everyone is welcome here. I'm talking to all my female listeners out there. We've got a lot of things working against us. 
We stop and start our careers many times for kids and family members. We live longer than men on average, and because of that, we typically spend our money taking care of our male partner. And we tend to just avoid talking about money. It makes sense why, as our guest Jennifer Sable, a financial advisor and owner of Uter Wealth, said at the beginning of this episode, we're often talked to like infants. But Jen cautions us that context is important. You see, the financial services industry was designed by and for cis white men. So as women, we've got to start talking about money, educating ourselves about money, and aligning our money with our values. Jen brings it all in this conversation where she shares the three phases of your financial life that you need to know about, why you need to break the model of ranking things from best to worst when it comes to money, and why you need to know that wherever you're starting from, it is perfectly okay. Learning about money is a lifetime practice. And honestly, you don't want to miss our conversation about fun financial facts about women, like that banks could legally require a man's signature for a woman to apply for a loan all the way back until 1988. That is not that long ago. All right, I'll let Jen take it from here. If you've been listening to this show for a while or you're brand new here, welcome. I am so glad to have you. Thank you so much for being here. You mean the world to me. If you could do me an exchange, a big, huge favor, I would so appreciate it. If you could head over and rate and review this podcast, leave us some stars in whatever podcast platform you're listening to now, or head over to Apple Podcasts. There's a link in the show notes to make it super easy for you. But all these ratings and reviews really help our show grow, help us attract more guests, and will just keep us on the air for many years to come. So thank you in advance for doing that. I really appreciate it. Jen, welcome to Everyone's Talking Money. I am so glad to have you. I read a little bio on you before we got started, and it said you like to drop the F-bomb from time to time. So I thought, you know what? This is going to be a great conversation. Fuck it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, let's just start it off, right? Let's start off on that foot. Well, you know, I think I think universally, we could probably agree on this, that most people, we don't like talking about money. And, you know, I was just thinking my husband and I had a really uncomfortable money conversation this week. And it was one of those where honestly, I just felt like throwing up and hiding in a corner. Even though I am a money expert, it doesn't make these conversations any easier. And I, I think that's one of the reasons, you know, I, I changed the name of the show from Millennial Money over to Everyone's Talking Money a couple of years ago. And it was Because I really wanted to create this space where everyone listening could not only get money tips, but a little, you know, money therapy, a little encouragement, and a place where they felt like, you know, it it would be okay to have these conversations around money. But, you know, I know we love to avoid talking about money, but particularly for women. Why is this? Like, why is we as women, why do we hate this subject? So many reasons. There's so many. Um, But as I was listening to some of your previous episodes, you had one recently with Sylee Barclay. Yes. And I wanted to jump through my phone and like give her a hug. Uh, Because at some point in the episode, she says like, I'm super confident on it and I'm great at making money. But when it comes to investing, that's where like all bets are off and I'm really hesitant. And, you know, she had a lot to say about that. And I wanted to jump through the phone and say, this is why. This is why. If I had to give one reason, there are a million, but if I had to just give one, it's because the predominant narrative in our society is that money is objective. And because we say, because we have this kind of common mentality, like we can measure it. So it's objective. 
we lose context and context is uh, is always important 100% of the time. If I hear a scream in a restaurant, I'm going to be afraid. If I hear a scream next to a roller coaster, I'm going to feel joy, right? Context matters. So <laughs> women in particular struggle with the relationship with money. And that, that point that she's talking about, that leap to investing, because the context is financial services as an industry was built by cis white men. And Barbie is a perfect example of this, right? In the movie industry, when movies are all built and written by and funded by and written for the male experience, it's different. When you write a movie for the female experience, like Barbie, men are like, it's terrible. You know, I'm <laughs> What do we do with this? Yeah. Right? I'm overgeneralizing, but they're like, it's terrible. Um, also, all of financial services was written by and for cishet white men. That doesn't make them bad people. But like a really succinct example is that even the software that I use as a financial planner, the default assumptions are that you have a linear income and it grows by whatever you know assumption we want to put in, inflation or something bigger. That is linear progressions in salary is a male experience in salary. That's not how women over the course of their lifetimes earn money. Women are much more likely to take a pause to do caregiving, whether it's for children or for their parents. So there's no software default. There's no financial planning software default that I'm aware of. That the default setting is for variable income. So we're, Which is crazy. Yeah. So it's not, I, there's a component, I get this image of like a picture of us, a picture of me, a picture of you, a picture of a woman. And there are some like individual things about money that we all, that are universal, that we can all work on. But you have to put us inside of navigating the larger context of the social structures we live in and the institutional structures we live in. And they are biased against women. So, so so that was my that's my first little rant. So we're just go back to fuck it, right? <laughs> I think I think knowing that knowing that is the first way to be able to navigate it successfully. A Barbie was one of my favorite movies of the year and um I I think, you know, what did a billion plus dollars some crazy amount of money, so I think, you know, a lot of women were excited about about that kind of message and and women really supporting the economy this summer. We have Beyonce yeah. and Taylor Swift and you name it. Yeah. Um, so I'm really interested in this context. How do we then, as women, you listen to Zaley Barkley talk about it. How do we then shift the context either, you know, whether that's a mindset or, or mentally for mm-hmm. us or mm-hmm. shift it in just sort of the landscape of, of how we, you know, interact with everyday life? Yeah. So I'd offer two things. Uh, Number one, it's hard to digest financial information, again, without context. Uh, So we all hear a bunch of advice and a lot of it is conflicting advice and it's desperate advice. It's like, like, which, what should I do? What is the best budgeting tool? What is, you know, whatever the case is. So if we take that in the context of an individual navigating their financial life, I think the first framework that's helpful is that Everybody generally experiences three phases of their financial life. 
the first I would say is like safety. Like there is a, like if you're not able to live in a safe place, to be able to pay for groceries, like, and have your basic needs met in a way that keeps you safe as a human, like that's a phase, you know, that kind of, that, that could be your poor right, college yeah. phase. It could be like just divorce phase or it could be like whatever circumstances got you to a place where you're not able to make ends meet on a month to month basis. So that's, that's a phase. The next phase is like a sufficiency phase or like an enough phase. I think one of your guests just mentioned that recently too, where it's like, Oh, I have enough to pay my bills. I have enough to live comfortably. I have enough to pay for like my basic needs and my desires and my wants. And then there's like, there's an abundance phase. Now I have more than enough. So I think one of the biggest in, in that context, one of the biggest differentiators of like advice. If you're like inundated with what should I do? It's like, first you have to identify what phase you're in. If you're in the, I'm not, I'm not safe phase. There's no amount of budgeting. There's no amount of investing. There's no amount of any financial advice that's going to be helpful until you are earning a living wage until you are making enough to cover your basic needs and be safe. Um, or you you change your circumstances so that you are right and you can be safe, like living in you know sis- your sister in law's basement or something like that. Am I making sense? Absolutely. Yeah. So like, there's no amount of budgeting that person in that it's phase. It's not going to fix it. Yep. Yeah, there's no yeah. amount of budgeting that's going to fix that. You have to be safe, and then you have to invest in yourself. You have to invest in your skills or marketing your skills to get to a sufficiency phase, to get to a place where you're earning sufficient or enough income. And this again, like my, I offered you kind of two things to navigate context. The first is kind of like knowing individually what your phases phases are. And the other is that finance is sold to us as objective when the reality is it's 100% subjective. Exclamation mark. <laughs> yeah. Money yeah tell, is, tell us about that. Money is purely an exchange of value. So, and what I value is different even from what my husband values. My husband values nice cars. I don't care about cars, even a little bit. <laughs> I'm like, does, it, does it get me where I want to go? The great. great. It's a big car. <laughs> I value international travel. I love it. Different experiences, different languages, different food. I want the whole thing. He's like, nah, I'm good. I'd rather just hang out with my friends. So one's not better or worse. One's not right or wrong. We value different things. Anytime we're making a financial decision, we are exchanging value. It is a reciprocal. I'm giving this in exchange for this. So I'm jumping around a little bit, but tell me if I'm not making sense and you know, <laughs> stop me. But if we go back to that sufficiency I think here, one of the biggest things that we can learn is that nobody's earning a living. If, if you and I can agree and we can like have all your listeners agree, earning a living shouldn't even be a, fa- a phrase that we utter. Nobody should have to earn a living. Like you're a human. You deserve to be here. We are exchanging value. So wherever we are working, we are offering value. Self-employed, we're offering value to our clients or our customers. If we're at work, we're offering value to our employer. And for the value we are offering them, they are exchanging compensation, financial compensation. 
That is a great rewire of our thinking around earning money. I really like that because it feels it feels tangible and it 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 for me takes out perhaps the amount of money or classifying someone based on the amount of money they make. Yeah. You know, which yeah. which we just tend to do as a society. It's like, yeah. well, if I'm if I don't make six figures or if I don't have this or if I don't have that, especially when it comes to money, then somehow I'm lesser than. And that's when the flood of emotions around money really comes in and we feel inferior and maybe we make decisions with our money that aren't great. I mean, it's a whole domino effect of things that happen. Well, I love that you talk about inferiority because if I if I'm like if we're ranking things on a vertical axis, like if we're ranking things from best to worst, and again, that's what we tend to do culturally in a lot of aspects, but especially with money. We have this morality around money that more is better and less is worse. And again, that's not true. The axis is horizontal. They're different. This is different value to different people than over here, different value to different people. But the thing I love about your exchanging value in terms of a paycheck for women in particular is that it decouples that I have to try a lot harder. I have to put in twice as much energy to make twice as much money. That's not true. You could be super brilliant and you could effortless, 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 it's a hard word. I know. <laughs> it isn't effortlessly. <laughs> it's not <that> hard, really. <laughs> um, it could be effortless to you, but it's very valuable to who you're providing it to. And so it's worth a lot more money. So we should be asking for more. We should be charging for more. We should really be confident in this is the value we're providing. Yeah, I want to talk about confidence. So two words that you talk about a lot are confidence and control. Mm-hmm. regarding women and their money. And, mm-hmm. you know, there were some interesting and fun financial facts about women that um, I, I want to talk about a little bit. We can bounce them back a little bit and really kind of get into the how-tos of, of confidence and control. But I think it's really important as women to understand the history of women and money and to understand that we're not that far uh, from some of these really important um, dates and milestones, you know, one of the things that the first women-owned bank was actually founded by a black woman born to an enslaved humans in nineteen, sorry, eighteen sixty-four. That was Maggie Lena Walker. I know there's been some documentaries and movies about her, but you know, I, I could hear that a million times over, and it still is just jaw-dropping to me, especially in the, the history of the country that we, that we live in. What's worse for me, <laughs> this is where F-bombs come in, is that as you and I are sitting here talking today, less than 1% of banks are owned by women. Less than 1% yeah. of all the banks out there that exist. That, I mean, that's insane. <laughs> uh, there are 13. Like there are literally 13 13 women owned banks out of more than 5,000. So yeah, Maggie, Lena Walker and I, and white women have a lot to learn from women of color, a lot. Um, and Maggie, Uh, a thousand percent. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Maggie, Lena Walker doesn't surprise me in the slightest that it was a black woman who started the first bank in our country. Um, and she did it in in uh, an understanding of mutual aid that like, you know, if nobody else is going to help our community, we have to help our community. And let's 
open a financial structure that serves our community specifically. And that was 1864. And we're here in 2023. And we're still saying less than 1% of banks are owned by women. And I bet of that 1%, the percentage that are owned by people of color is I want to say much, much smaller percentage. It actually isn't. So really women is smaller, but I think people of color, it's 19 instead of 13 banks, but I can look it up for you really. Okay. No, no, no. Um, It's just interesting, you know, just off the, off the top of our head. Um, Another fact that I think, you know, is interesting that I think a lot of listeners know, again, when you hear it, it just, it's mind blowing that banks could legally require a man's signature for a woman to apply for a loan. This stopped in 1988. We are not that far removed. I know a lot of listeners, a lot of the listeners might not have been alive in in 1988, but that's not that long ago when, uh, you know, that happened. I mean, legal and common. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. My grandmother worked for the phone company and she was so proud that she worked for the phone company in the fifties and she earned enough working at the phone company in the fifties to buy a car for cash on her own. Um, but she couldn't have, she couldn't have gotten a loan. Car loans weren't all that uh, popular in the fifties, but she couldn't have gone to the bank and gotten a loan without her father's signature, without her husband's signature. That's just my grandmother. And it wasn't until 1974 that, it, that that practice was illegal, that, that banking wasn't allowed to discriminate. Uh, and so my mom graduated high school in 1972. So she, right out of high school, couldn't have just gone to the bank and opened an account on her own. You know, I talk a lot about money trauma and how it's passed down from mm-hmm. generations. And this is, I believe, really a strong form of money trauma for women that they might not even consciously be aware of. The fact that our our moms or our grandmas or our great grandmas, you know, did not have financial equality mm-hmm. in this country, and you know the damage that that does to your your self worth and your ability to build wealth is substantial. And and I think it makes sense why as women we still struggle a bit with money because this this has been in our our thread line and it's again it's not that long ago. Yeah, when you talk to data science when I talk to data science scientists about some of these um hard stats like less than 1% of banks today are owned by women, uh they remind me that statistically that's impossible. You know, we've got enough years and enough data and enough iterations that that is statistically impossible unless bias is by design, unless it is mm, yes. intentional. Hmm, there's something to ponder. <laughs> yeah. And so I, as I was listening, um, you know, to Zylee, I was like, I, like, I wanted to reach through the phone on the podcast and be like, it's not you. <laughs> it's not you. If you're not, if you're not confident investing, if you're not confident making financial decisions, that isn't only because of your money story and your experience. It's because we live inside of a system that talks to you like an infant about money. And that's also been scientifically proven. I mean, I, like, I'll just ask you, Shanna, what, what movie do you know of? Like, think about the movies about wealth, just like the general movies we've ever seen about wealth. They're all, they're all about men and, you know, usually in some like, 
you know, always driving fancy cars, always having, you know, all the women, um, you know, plenty of movies about, you know, the stock market bros and, you know, yeah, working on Wall Street. Yeah. yeah. A thousand hours a week. And yeah. Yeah. Any of the Michael Lewis series is. But I think that goes back to another one of these, these facts is that most financial things we've just talked about, this were made up by a couple of rich white guys, you know, the S&P 500, the FICO scores, GDP, those sorts of things, you know, all those, all the crazy like money vocabulary that most of us are like, can you please like tell me that in English, not in, you know, a foreign yeah. language. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it, what you're saying is like the system was created not for women initially. And yeah. so we were kind of always, you know, batting from behind, if you will. Yeah. And I, uh, analogy I like to use, um, because I like to be, sometimes I like to push the envelope, um, are things like, and men, men decided what healthy was, right? So men made the definition of like, well, this is what financial health looks like, and this is how we're going to measure it. So a metaphor I like to use is like, well, what if I told you that if you were a doctor and you had a patient and they had like, healthy height and weight. They had healthy blood pressure, heart rate, um, cholesterol readings, liver enzymes, blood, you know, blood sugar levels, right? If we did a diagnostic and we were like, yes, this person is healthy. Every measure says that they're healthy. And then I tell you, well, that person is a terrorist who has killed thousands of people. Now, do you still call them healthy? Is that a healthy person? Hmm. who decided this is what healthy looks like. Um, And that's an analogy I use all the time when it comes to investment portfolio design and construction, because the research we use, Markowitz was a Nobel laureate and he did modern portfolio theory. And that is how portfolio construction is one of the major tenets of portfolio construction. Bama and French, same, all bunch of dudes, researched, published, researched factors that said these are the factors that contribute to the health, the financial health of business and organizations. And just now, because largely because women and millennials are pushing, they're saying, how are we really defining health here? How exactly? And like, great, you make a lot of profits, but you're burning the entire planet also? Maybe I don't (laughs) define health that way. those moments when money is just not moving as fast as your dreams, Earnit provides the financial momentum you need to keep moving forward. Earnit is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. You just download the Earnit app and verify your paycheck. Then you access up to $100 a day as you work and you can leave an optional tip. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. I honestly would use Earnin in lots of different ways, but what's on my mind recently is I need a night out. I need some good tacos to sip on a few virgin margaritas and celebrate you all helping this podcast earn 26 million downloads. Make Earnin a part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability and security. Gives me a lot of peace of mind. Download Earnin today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N in the Google Play or Apple App Store. 
When you download the Earn in app, type in Talkin' Money under podcast when you sign up. It will really help the show. Talkin' Money under podcast. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank, subject to your available earnings daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Okay, listen, like many of you out there, I love Notion, our sponsor today. And I honestly use it every day for my notes and journaling. I also track our family expenses. And I manage all of our household to-dos. Notion has been such a lifesaver in helping me get a lot more organized because that's not one of my strengths without stressing me out. Notion is a place where any team can write, plan, organize, and rediscover the joy of play. It's a workspace designed not just for making progress, but getting inspired. Notion is the AI-powered workspace that can summarize things like meeting notes and automatically generate action items and help you get answers to questions in seconds. It will honestly blow your mind. Notion is for everyone, whether you're a Fortune 500 company, you're a freelancer, you're starting a startup, or you're a student juggling classes and clubs, or you're somebody like myself that just really wants to get organized. Try Notion for free when you go to notion.com etm. That's all lowercase letters, notion.com slash etm, and start turning ideas into action. And when you use our link, you are supporting our show, notion.com slash etm. Okay, friend, I want to know, what are your money goals this year? Are you saving to buy a house or maybe a wedding or a dream vacation to somewhere tropical? If that's you, please, please take me with you. Or maybe you want to just grow your emergency fund because, let's be real, life is expensive. I want to make sure you reach your goals, so you need Monarch. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top-rated, all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets, track progress towards your financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash etm. Here's what I love. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. You can change the layout of your dashboard. You can go between light and dark mode. You can create custom budgets and notifications. You can set up all of these automatic rules for your transactions and notifications and so much more. Monarch is obsessed with constantly improving their product. Get this. They release updates every two weeks, and they even allow customers to submit suggestions, vote on requested features, and view the product roadmap. This, my friend, is totally original. Plus, they will never sell your data to third party or show you ads. I think that's really important. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it is the top-rated personal finance app. And now, listeners of this show get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash etm. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash etm for your extended 30-day free trial. All right, Jen, let's now play your relationship with money is. I'm going to ask you four questions. Just give me the first thing pops into your head. So number one, you had to describe your relationship with money as a cartoon character. What would it be and why? I think of the little plant and Wally. 
so if you've seen Wally, the movie, and it's yes. the green plant, and that's because like my favorite kind of like money perspective is that it's a resource and and it's a renewable resource uh, and it's also a precious resource um, that can be abundant if you nurture it. Mm, I like that. All right, no, not had anything from Wally yet, so that's exciting. It's one of my kids' uh, favorite movies. So yeah, I mean, it's a classic. <laughs> it's a classic. All right, number two, how many times a day do you think about money and are those thoughts positive or negative? Oh my goodness. So nobody's going to relate to this because like this is my career. So <laughs> more times than you can count, I think about money. Um, and I like part of my being and my work is really to change predominant narratives around money. So I'm like, I wake up thinking about money and I talk to talk about money all day and I go to sleep thinking about money. Uh, so nobody can relate to that. I would say it's probably at least hours, like hours and hours every day <laughs> that I think about money. <laughs> Me too. And it's sometimes exhausting. <laughs> yes. And we take a break. <laughs> Even yes. us. That like, it's our profession. <laughs> We're like, okay, that's enough. <laughs> Put it away. All right. Number three, how would your life change if you had just unlimited gobs of money in your bank account? I'm wildly, wildly fortunate um, to be in a very, very small percentage of people. Um, and I wish this for everybody. I wish this for every one of my clients, but there isn't money wouldn't change. We, how it would ta tangibly change my family's life today is that my husband would stop working, but he could do that right now and he doesn't. So neither one of us, I like genuinely love the work that I do and would continue doing it. I may, I may travel a little bit more while I do it. Um, but tangibly I'm, I'm at the abundance stage. All right. And number four, what's your biggest or one of your biggest money mistakes that uh, maybe you've never told anyone before? I think I've talked about all of my money mistakes. <laughs> I really hope I have. <laughs> but again, this is relatively new and like new collaborations that I that I'm making and some new projects I'm working on uh, have offered me this kind of new revelation for me. And that is around that same concept of exchanging value. I wish that I would have left environments that I wasn't thriving in earlier. And I didn't do it out of fear because it because they were good to me financially. I didn't do it out of fear. So I was like, well, I'm not going to be able to to do what I'm passionate about and excited about and earn this kind of income. And that for me has not been true. What's been true is the more energy I can spend around the things that I really do love and appreciate, uh, the more I'm attracting the exact kind of person I want to work with and the more fun I'm having in working. Yeah. Yeah, so so taking this all into context, if we will, how can women listening, how can they take all these things that have been roadblocks or, you know, tough things to overcome? How can they take those and and twist them a little bit and develop more financial confidence and feel more in control of their money? Yeah. Great question. Um Number one, wherever you're starting from is perfectly okay. You have to look in the mirror and say, this is my starting point. I love myself taking care of my money and practicing and learning to be more confident with my money is going to be a lifetime practice, just like any other skill set. So 
We didn't, we weren't born learning how to drive a car or how to ski or how to even use a spoon. Those were all skills that we had to pick up and learn along the way. Financial skills are the same way. You only get better at them by using them. So use them. You are going to mess up. Everybody does. Everybody. You are going to mess up. It's okay to mess up. In fact, it's encouraged. It's one of the best ways to learn. What you have to do once you mess up is learn from it and do better next time. That's it. Uh, And then third, don't settle. I, you know, there are only a few things we can control when it comes to money. And again, I, I'll go back to, you know, finance pretends to be objective, but it isn't. It's 100% subjective. There are a couple things that you have to do well. Everything else really is flexible. So you do have to spend less than you earn. This, again, in context, this advice is you have to spend everything you have if you're not in a safe place. So this is like a, if you're at sufficiency or above. You have to take in money on a monthly or annual basis. You have to enjoy some of it today and you have to put some of it aside for your future self. So like that's the first tenant is enjoy some today, put some away for for your future self. That's like one way to build confidence. Start doing that immediately. If you're listening to this and you have a 401k at work, go increase your contribution by 1%. If you do that, you just got better with money like with that one move. Um, and then two, don't compromise and like be flexible with yourself. So as long as you're putting money away for your future self, it doesn't really matter how you invest it. You can invest it all in real estate. If you want to, you can invest it all in the stock market. If you want to, you can invest it in your businesses or in businesses that people, you know, uh, you just have to be aware of the risks, the rewards, the costs, the tax, like you have to be, be aware of the same you know, few questions. There's only four or five questions. What do I expect from this? What's the cost? What's the risk? Uh, and what are the tax consequences? Um, and am I comfortable with any with all of those things? Have all those things been answered? I'm comfortable with them. And then you can always change your mind. I like that asterisk. You can always change your mind. It's always brilliant. <laughs> yeah, I've been I've been a financial advisor for 20 years. I like I can tell you I I can tell you clients that loved the stock market. 100% of their investments were in the stock market. And one day they bought a rental property and now 100% of their investments investments have been shifted to rental properties and they have several. And I have clients that have done the exact opposite of that. They were 100% in rental properties, hated the stock market. Then they had a bad experience with one of their rentals. They're like, never doing that again. All their money is in the stock market. So there isn't, you're not, there's not a right or wrong way. There's a lot of right ways. Just find the right people to navigate with. The weather is getting warmer. I'm so excited. And it is time to say goodbye to all those jackets and sweaters and hello to the shorts and t-shirts. I wanted to update my summer workout wardrobe for the long haul without, you know, spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince and I am in love. Quince is your go-to place from everything from premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless, 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part of all, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes those savings on to you. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices 
and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. Okay, I bought the dreamiest pair of workout leggings and a bright pink workout top to match. Honestly, ladies, I gotta tell you, these leggings you need. The price cannot be beat, and I feel like a million bucks wearing this cozy workout friendly outfit. I've worn it for like five days straight. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash etm for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash ETM to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash ETM. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, my name's Otis Gray, host of The Daily Book Club, a daily podcast where I read wonderful old books one chapter at a time. Simple as that. Whether you want to get engaged and lost in a fascinating story that has stood the test of time, or just relax to a good book, listen to The Daily Book Club to get wrapped up or unwind during your day. We'll read classic stories like Pride and Prejudice, The Enchanted April, The Wind in the Willows, beautiful stories all told from start to finish. And you can even do a real book club. Tune into the Daily Book Club Discord and discuss the readings with other book club listeners. However you want to listen, it's your choice. Subscribe to the Daily Book Club on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere else. New episodes every single day. So sit back, relax, and get lost in the Daily Book Club. What about, so that's a great example of of investing and then moved over to real estate. You know, I get a lot of listener questions who say that there is a lot of like decision fatigue. You know, yeah. should I should yeah. I have an Airbnb? Should I do this? Should I put more on this? Should I do, you know? And so, it, it a lot of women are telling me that that puts them in this place of like where they just feel frozen. They don't know what decision to make, and they don't even know how to figure out what is the right decision to make. Yeah, what would you say to that? I love that. Um, I I always tell people the first decision will help with that. So the first decision that needs to be made is, are you a DIYer? Are you a hire the professional kind of person? (laughs) Or are you somewhere in between? And any investment you make has one of those three avenues to pursue. So in my, it's true in real estate, it's true in in stock market investing, which is what I advise people with. So we'll use my my business as an example. If people come to me and be like, I know decision fatigue, I don't, I don't know what to do. If you tell me you have decision fatigue right off the bat, you're probably not a DIYer. DIYers generally are the people who like, I want to learn everything about this topic. I'm so curious. I'm so interested. I'm listening to every podcast. I'm watching every YouTube video. I'm reading every book. Those are the people who usually fare the best with DIYing. I would say that's also true for real estate. Uh, hire a professional. That's the like, I just want to outsource it to somebody I trust. Somebody who answers my questions thoroughly and doesn't make me feel incompetent or inferior or like I'm an idiot because my genius is somewhere else. It's not in finance or investing. 
uh, hire a professional, perfectly viable option. That's what all my clients do. That's why I have a gig. And then the third is something in between the two in the investment world. That That's what I would call like a robo-advisor. Those are the platforms like Betterment and Wealthfront and even Elvest to some extent where you're going to go online and fill out some information and say, this is who I am and what's important to me and how much I'm going to invest. Um, so you've got some hands-on and then they're just going to say, okay, well, based on that information, here's what we recommend. So you're not actually having to make a lot of decisions. You're just like having to pick one of the the options out there for you. That is gr- that is great advice. I think I think you've probably just summed up about like 200 of of the 1000 podcast episodes just right in those few minutes. So, I think anyone who's listening, like you're in a treat. You you just really learned a lot. Um I want to ask you a little bit Jen about about growing up. So, I, I read you described yourself as a recovering overachiever. Yeah. And someone who overcompensated financially after living with a mom who struggled financially, which I think is a story that a lot of us have. Um, you describe your childhood home as one that that pretended tough subjects just didn't exist. You talk about rape and death and sex and of course money, these really big topics. I mean, that sounds like a tough childhood. What, what was that journey like to, to get to the place where now you're somebody who empowers people about tough, one of the very tough subjects, money? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, every doctor I know, I have a lot of doctor friends uh, and every doctor I know has a story like this. They're like, why did you become a doctor? Like, well, because somebody I knew in high school died of cancer. Um, I had two different childhoods. I had the childhood before my parents got divorced where we never talked about money. I didn't even know money existed. Um, very comfortable. Like my dad was almost Gordon Gecko-ish. You know, he's a big Wall Street guy for those of us that didn't grow up in the 80s. But he had the feathered hair and the big brick phone. And we had internet at our house. We had internet in the 80s. Um, And then they got divorced and I lived with my mom. And they were very contentious about child support and money and whatever the case is. And so that impacted us kids. So once we lived with my mom, mom, the money was the the elephant in every room, in every room. The only two phrases I ever heard come out of her mouth from the time I was 10 to when I moved out when I was 17, where we can't afford it and money doesn't grow on trees. So it was just this like really tension, full of tension and fear and anxiety and all of those things. I'm a firstborn daughter. I'm a firstborn daughter. So anybody <laughs> listening who's a firstborn daughter, probably nodding. Um, I am a very curious and overachiever. And I was like, well, I'm not going to do that. So I went the extreme other way. And I wanted to learn and read and listen to everything I possibly could. I bought, I closed on my first house on my 22nd birthday by myself. Um, and before that, I had saved 50% of my income. I was like, well, one paycheck is for, you know, fun and living expenses. And the other paycheck I'm putting in the bank and I will never depend on another human financially ever in my life. Wow. I will say 20 years later, my money story is still evolving and changing. But 20 years later, I had to tell my story recently at a conference. And something that occurred to me just recently was that my mom didn't have an actual money issue. She had a perception about her money issue. We had enough to pay all the bills and to buy food and all of those things. Um, But she really was angry at my dad and at 
you know, having to live a life that she had imagined looking differently. Um, and that anger got directed to money. Money became the the object of her, you know, uncomfortableness and her anger and whatever the case is. As I sit here with you today, objectively, my mother was better with money always than my father. Always. Mm, interesting. She And she always made less. Always. But she was better with it. Uh, which a lot of data shows that that is also true. Women are better investors than men. <laughs> That's an example. <laughs> you know, what advice would you give to someone listening who maybe your story resonates with them and they're trying to just shake off those money beliefs or money patterns or something that existed in their childhood that they, it just feels like so much a part of them that they don't know how to get rid of it. Yeah. Um, what was true for me, I think the most powerful thing that I did that, that made the biggest shift, there's probably two, and this won't be true for everybody, but it will be true for some people, was really working on shame. And so I did learn that all of my, a lot of my overachieving came from shame. It was shame driven in that I thought I had to earn my place to be here. I had to be the best at something. I had to always compete and be the top. Otherwise, I wasn't worthy of being in whatever space I was in. So just me working on shame and how it shows up for me was probably the most powerful thing it could do for me as a human living the earth, but also with my financial decisions. Once you're not ashamed, now I'm not, I have no shame about any financial decision I make. Like you're not the one who has to live with it. I'm the one who has to live with it. So who cares about what your opinion is? Um, that I would say, if you if you're going to work on anything, work on shame. It's probably not serving you, serving something and someone and some many institutions, and not you. Um, and then the mm. second thing, the second reframe the, that's been the most powerful for me about money is that acknowledging that money is a resource to manage. So it's like some of us have an abundance of resources, and some of us have fewer resources. But again, you know, you mentioned earlier, you make a lot or you make less, like you make more, you have more resources. There's less shame, even in just kind of reframing money that way. People being over-resourced and people being under-resourced is different from you make a lot of money and you don't make very much money. Oh, wow. So, <laughs> I mean, this is such a powerful episode. We, we've talked about so much about women. You just mentioned something a, a few minutes ago about women being better investors than men. And so I think I, I'd love to end here. Tell us, you know, why why is that the case? And and give give us maybe a little bit of a, a pep talk about how we as women um can go out and can be better investors and can be good with our money and can have good financial health, even if right now, maybe we don't feel like we're in that space. Yeah, I love it. Um, so being financially confident and being financially sound really comes down to three things. Are you spending money today? How and where you'd like to be spending money today? So much of our financial decisions usually get, get rooted in our past instead of into our future. So we get stuck in these, you know, patterns and cycles that aren't necessarily ours. We borrowed from other people. 
But being being confident and powerful just means your money today is going where you want it to go. And like, be honest with yourself about it. You're investing in your future self. The like rule of thumb is 15% of your income to your future self. Um, but again, there's no right answer. It could be 15%. I've seen some people do the, uh, you know, they want to retire early, the fire kind of movement. And so they save like 80% of their income. Again, there's no right or wrong answer somewhere in between that spending spending 20% and saving 80% or spending 80% and saving 20%. So you're putting something towards your future and investing it. You do have to be investing it. Um, then you're in good shape. When it comes to investing, you just have to start. You just have to start. You have to do it. You have to practice. The more you do it, the more you practice, the better you'll get at it. Uh, choose one of the three paths I talked about before. DIY hire an advisor or go to one of those platforms that I mentioned. And then the last thing is you have to manage your risks. As long as you're doing those, those things, as long as you're enjoying your money today, putting some away for your future and you're managing your major risks, then you're being amazing with money. I really enjoyed learning about the, I really enjoyed learning about the three phases of your financial life. I think so many of us are stuck in the safety phase that Jen talked about where I really enjoyed learning more about the three phases of your financial life. I think many of us are just stuck in the safety phase that Jen talked about, where money just doesn't feel pleasant to deal with, or maybe there isn't enough. But no matter what phase you're in, please know you're doing okay. As women, we've got to continue the conversation around money and empower us to all feel more confident when it comes to dealing with our money. This podcast is hopefully helping you do that episode by episode. If you want to connect with Jen, you can find her on her website at uterwealth.com. She's also got a free guide to help you find the right financial advisor at guide.uterwealth.com. You can also connect with her on Instagram at Jen Sapel. I'll link all of that in the show notes as well as our episode sponsors who make this show possible. And hey, listen, if you haven't done so already, please head to the link in the show notes or whatever player you're listening to this episode in right now and leave us a five-star review for the show. These reviews help our show keep growing and help us to attract more guests like Jen. I'll see you back here in a few days for a brand new episode. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.